0: Well, I mean, I've got the real secret that I'm not going to tell to anyone. And, you know, it's going to be in this, this podcast. Wow. Coming right up. All right, everybody, stick around for a little world domination. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Sharp's Corner, where we will be interviewing elite distance coach, Doug Souls. My guest today is Doug Souls. In California, he really needs no introduction. He's had extraordinary success as head coach of both track and field and cross-country. And I'll go so far as to say that in his 17 years at Great Oak High School, built the premier distance program in California for sure, and if I may be so bold, the United States. As evidenced by his 14 state titles in Division I, eight girls, six boys, one national title, in 2015, with the boys, 15 CIF Southern Section cross country titles in Division One, five CIF Southern track titles, Division One, two state track runner ups with the boys. Uh, not to mention breaking the national record a couple times. Uh, I remember the boys uh, breaking the 4 x 16 in back to back weeks, yep. uh, and I believe that mark eclipsing the 4 by mile record uh, with that effort at the Mount SAC relays. Correct. Um, One of the things that I I want, you know, since uh, I know you're working on this, is maybe just talk a little bit about your book and what that's going to look like. And uh, at some point, you know, we'll absolutely, you know, support you and get a link to that so that people can uh, find the book.
0: Yeah, I tried to put together a book that uh, is more of a manual for how to build a championship program. So, you know, just out of my brain into yours, um, something that, that people can read. And when they come out of it, they can challenge themselves to say, hey, you know, what is it that I'm trying to create here as a program? And maybe I need to be doing more of this and more of this. And so, you know, really kind of a checklist of, of how do you build a championship program? And and so, um, you know, it was a great thing about the pandemic. I had time to write a book. And so I put that together and it looks like it'll probably be out towards the end of May, uh, maybe the beginning of June. So that's my ultimate goal. And I'll probably sell it through my website uh, once we get all that stuff set up. But yeah, it'd be great if, if people checked it out. And I think it'll be a great book. I can't wait for it. I'm lucky that I've been able to talk to you about things, but I will definitely
1: buy that book and it will go have a slot right in my library. Um, one of the things I wanted to you know, talk to you about, too, is can you talk a little bit about your journey to being a coach? You know, and, and, and that could start anywhere. You know, I'm just a little curious. You know, how'd you end up here? Where did it all start?
0: You know, Actually, my senior project in high school, I was a basketball coach you know, they, you had to do an exit project okay. in high school. And I was a basketball coach and I coached my little brother's fifth grade basketball team. I was an assistant and then they gave me the reins for the final game. And uh, ironically, we beat the undefeated team and had the big, my one, I was one to know as a uh, fifth grade basketball coach and and did the upset. And uh, I think, you know, you just, when you coach, you, you start to realize this is a lot of fun. And so something that was always in the back of my mind, I knew I wanted to be a teacher and so I went through the, the teaching program at Western Oregon. And, and uh, you know, it's funny when you go to get jobs, often the, the coaching or the extra stuff that you do can help you get the job. And so coaching helped me get the job at Desert Hot Springs High School. And, uh, you know, once I started coaching full time out there, um, I started off, you know, I was hired as the boys head track coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the woman that had the cross country and the, the women's side um, took a job. Out in LA somewhere, I don't know uh, wherever she's at. I thank her because um, I otherwise I probably never would have ended up coaching cross country. I would have focused purely on track and sprints, which is what I ran. And so I was thinking, you know, I'll, I'll just be the track coach and life will be fun. And um, so she ended up leaving, and so they penciled me in, and my wife and I, as the cross country coaches, and didn't tell us. And then called us and said, hey, you need to get down here to Palm Springs. You're coaching <laughs> cross country. And so we we raced down and and uh, you know ended up our first day of practice. We had three kids. Two boys and one girl, and uh, we started going. Okay, we're going to need to put some time and effort into trying to actually get kids out. And I think I think we ended up with seven girls and about 19 boys that first year. It was mm-hmm. the second year of the school, you know, so it was a really small program. And the great thing about that is it gave me a chance to cut my teeth, make a lot of mistakes with no one really watching, um, and you know, just kind of figure out what works, what doesn't, and you know, which direction I needed to continue to go. Um, but you know, without her deciding to take that job, I may have never been a cross country coach. So, you know, just kind of an interesting twist the way that happened and, you know, allowed me to, to try something that I wasn't thinking about doing. I wasn't thinking about being a cross country coach, but you know, there's just something special about taking a group of kids and and it, it, you know, if someone runs the hundred meters, it's more talent than it is coaching often. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but in, in distance running, you have the ability to take a kid and almost trick them into being better than they're <laughs> capable of being. Um and so there's a lot of Jedi mind tricks you can play on kids to get them to that level. And that's what I try to do, um, is to get kids to believe that we can be better than, you know, the sum of our parts in some ways. You know, let's let's build something special whether whether we think we have all all the pieces we need or not. And you know, we got a lot of kids to buy in at, at Great Oak and we've been able to to be very successful because of that. Yeah, incredible. I
1: it's amazing how serendipity can play back to back episodes now i just did marty dugard please watch that episode if you haven't seen it and he talked about um you know real quickly when his son you know was looking at uh you know going to a private school and ultimately ended up being jay sarah and marty was just like you know i just love running and i'd love to help out let me know if your cross-country coach needs any help and they were like we don't have one want the job so here you have two of the best coaches, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in California. And in some small way, serendipity played a part. I love that, by
0: the way. Isn't yeah, life? it does. You, you got to get lucky in some aspects to end up doing what you actually love to do.
1: Although I would also say luck, but then followed up by uh, you know, the kind of people that are willing to work hard, you know, yeah. and, and a desire to be great, which I know both of you guys have. Next thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit is program building. Okay. I mean, I respect you so greatly. I think a lot of people do for the program you built, you know, Um, talk a little bit about that journey, the 17 years. Do you have any uh, tips that you're willing to share outside of the book for, you know, people trying to build a great program?
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing on my end was I I lucked into Dan Noble. Um, I ended up getting somebody um, that I didn't hire. He was actually hired by the coach that was Coming in at the same time I was, and uh, so he was already there when I got there. And um, you know, he kind of was said, "Okay, he's going to work with you." And you know, as luck would have it, when we when we met, it was like, "Okay, you know, we connect, we hit." And you know, everything that I was explaining about how we were going to build was, "This is this year. This is what we're going to look like next year. This is what we're going to look like down the road." And you know, when you look at that road map, all of a sudden, you know, by 2008, we were going to be one of the best teams in the country. Well. Some of the people believed that. Some of them didn't. Coach Noble was one that happened to believe uh, in the vision and believed we could make it happen. And and so you know, find somebody that that really completes um, what you're trying to do because you can't be all places at all times. You know, things happen in life, kids, family, you know, illness. And so if I'm not there, Coach Noble's there. And so we've always had that that ability to have one of us um, making sure that the program's doing what it's supposed to do at all times. So find somebody that's that's really going to be the yin to your yang, I think that's critical. He fills in um, all of the gaps that I have as a coach and every coach has gaps. You know, We're all good at something and it's usually comfort levels. I like to do this. My biggest weakness is core. I don't like to spend time on core. His biggest strength is core. He loves to spend X amount of time. So all I had to do was gift him the time to be great at what he does. Um, And I think that's that's one of the most important things is find your weaknesses and find somebody that's going to come in and fill those. You know, for some people, they're really good with the X's and O's, but they don't have the personality to command the room. They don't have the personality to maybe get the kids to listen. So maybe one of the assistant coaches that you hire is just the guy that, you know, is the rah-rah guy that that keeps everybody going the right direction. And so you got to you got to really look at yourself and decide what am I good at, what am I not and what do I need? Um, And then, you know, step number two is get out as many kids as you can. Right. And it depends on the size of your school and all those things. But, you know, you're never going to offend somebody by telling them that you want them out there, that they're important to you and that you care. So for me, I'm always looking to to get as many kids out as possible, especially freshmen. Um, to me, freshmen are the most important kids because that's your future um, every single year. So I spend a lot of time trying to get kids out. And I think more than anything, if you can get large groups of freshmen every year, it's inevitable that you're going to end up with a pretty good team. Um, Step number three in, in building, you're going to want to make sure um, that you understand, you know, your content. How how do I take kids and and actually make them faster, right? How how do they come in as a freshman and then leave as a senior much faster than they were, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding that, and there's so many great ways between books, the internet, you know, going to clinics. and And honestly, finding a mentor, finding a mentor is huge. If you're a first-year coach and you don't have a mentor, you're automatically screwing up right there. So find somebody that's been there, done that, that can help you, that, that you can just bounce you know, questions off. Because you're going to run into things that you don't know the answer for. You know And if you can, you've got somebody that's been coaching for 30 years and they'll be happy to help you, you know that's going to help you out a lot um, as well. But I think more than anything, you've you got to have a vision and an understanding of what you're trying to do. And, and my vision, right off the bat, I went into the um, interview with the athletic director, and the first thing I told him was, we're going to state. You know, and this we're talking 2004. I had one kid on the roster, Lauren Campfield, who ended up being a fantastic runner, and I knew she was good. Brett Campfield, one of the best in California from this area um, back in the day, you know, was her older brother, so we knew she was good. We knew she was going to be, you know, an ace for us out front in 2004. And so I was like throwing a couple freshmen. We're easily making it to state in Division Four, but other people didn't have that same vision. And so you know, the athletic director is looking at me like, "Who is this guy?" but I'd already run the numbers. So I knew, you know, we're going to make state. And of course we did. Um, and so I I think having a vision and being able to put a vision out there, whether other people see it or not. Right. I I mean, there were years where, you know, people in the media laughed at me because I believed we were going to become the best program. And, you know, and I would tell people, this is the level we're going to be in a couple of years. You know, I would go into meetings and say, you guys better be ready. We're going to bust everyone up here in the next couple of years. You know when we were going in the Southwestern League, I went into the meeting and said, you guys better be ready because when we come in, we're going to be amazing. You know, and they were like, who is this guy? Who is uh, this guy? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I had a very clear vision for what we were going to do. Um, and fortunately, we were able to execute it. And we actually became what we were shooting to probably overshot, you know, in some ways what we were expecting to, to become. And so you have to have a clear vision um, and you have to really listen to your kids. Right. Because if you want to build a championship program and they just want to play, you know, games on Fridays, um, you know, we want to play tag coach, then you're, you're not going to get where you want to get. Right. So you need to really make sure that you're on the same page with the kids. I did that um, by sitting down with the kids and, and you know, at the end of, of May, sit down, listen to what their goals are, have them set the goals, have them help you set the schedule so that they're going to meets they want to run at. You know, they've got things to look forward to. And they're they're trying to accomplish their goals. Kids don't care what my goals are, but they really will work extremely hard for their goals. So I think that's one of the critical pieces is making sure that you listen to them um, and and you know help help guide them to what they're capable of.
1: And you know, it's great as you know as I'm listening to these great coaches that I've been able to talk to. Um, you know that is one of the themes that comes up all the time: not being afraid to set strong goals. Yeah. Right. And then align your program in such a way that the kids want those things, Mm -hmm. you know, great advice. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about rivalry and, um, you know, just, I think if people are more familiar with, you know, ball sports and things like that, maybe they get it, maybe they don't actually realize that in our world too, we have these big rivalries. Maybe talk a little bit about like local, but also on the national, you know, sort of level, the way that rivalry, um, I feel is good for the sport um, that it brings that needed energy into a program, whether it's local or at the higher level. Your, your thoughts, if you
0: uh, would please. Well, I mean, I think you got two rivalries. You've got friendly rivalries, and you've got enemies, right? You've got people you just got to beat. So, you know, locally, you know, it's been us with Vista Marietta for years. We've been battling them, and they've they've always been really good in cross country and really good in track. and and so, you know, I think on our end, it's it's always about finding a way to make sure that we stay ahead of Vista, mm-hmm. uh, which has challenged us to be great every year. You know, that's just another thing that that, you know, when the kids come in, they they don't want to lose to Vista. And I know Vista doesn't want to lose to us. Um, and I think that's that's a great thing about rivalry. You know, it's it can be intense in the moment. There's sometimes there's yelling and screaming and frustration and, you know, everybody's upset. But for the most part, I think it's a great thing and I think it challenges us to be great. Um, I've had a lot of friendly rivalries throughout the years. We have a great friendly rivalry with Dana Hills. Um, you know, always got along great with with uh, Tim Butler and, and Craig, and uh, had the opportunity to really when we would go out before the race, you know, give hugs and and wish them good luck and truly mean it. You mm-hmm. know, like if if they win, then hey, one of my buddies wins, and if if we win, then you know we get that championship. And they were always very cordial with us. And so I think when we very first started, you know, year one we didn't really have a rival at that point. Um, and then it kind of evolved as we got good, like who are we trying to beat? And so Dana Hills kind of became that early rivalry for us. And Murrieta Valley on the girls' side, Dana Hills on the girls' side. Then it evolved to Saugus, you know, and it was like, how do we take down Saugus, which, you know, Coach Paragas is one of the all-time greats for yeah. California. So how do, how do you beat a team that is so well-coached with so much talent the kids are, you know, absolutely fierce. I have never been able to get my kids, I think, to the toughness level that he gets his kids to. Um, and so, you know, you 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 look at your weaknesses, you look at their strengths, and sometimes it's a little scary um, taking on other teams because you know it's things that I'm not as, as good at, that's where he excels, you know. And so Cro- Coach Paragas was a great rivalry and a friendly rivalry for us. We had some, some really good rivalries there. Um, and then it eventually... You know, I think as we've gotten to the end here, we were starting a rivalry with Newberry Park, so we'll yeah. see if that continues. But, you know, I think rivalries come out of uh, a mutual respect oft- often for the amount of time, effort, and focus that people are putting into their program. So right now you see Newberry Park is doing an amazing job um, locally here in California. They're, they're probably the next power. Then when we looked at uh, trying to be good nationally. Um, you know, Fayetteville Manlius has been the team to beat on the girls' side for so long that I think it's everybody versus Fayetteville Manlius, um, you know, year in and year out. And so I wouldn't say that we had a a great rivalry with them because we never beat them. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think we went in every season trying to figure out how to beat them. Um, And there was a lot of times where it was, you know, Great Oaks going to give Fayetteville Manlius everything they can handle and, you know, So I think that that was one of those things that that drove us to try to be the best we could be, because their their level was so high that uh, we had to get better. Absolutely. I'm
1: such a fan of rivalry. Like I said, there's an energy that comes into it. And, you know, whether it's at the local level watching you guys throw down, you know, with Sagas, or, you know, at the national level, um, just the energy in the community and the media. You know, I've always been fascinated because I think it helps sports. You got to find where you get energy. So I'm even hopeful that we in some ways can continue to increase, you know, the attention to it. And you bring up a great point too the friendly rivalry. It's been my experience that one of the things I like about our sport is there's a lot more friendly rivalry as opposed to. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I would say most of our rivalries have been friendly. You know, you, you you love the people that you're competing against, but you definitely want to make sure that you don't lose. So,
1: yeah. You've talked before about how you use visualization I would love to
0: you know share some of that with people yeah we we tend to do visualization every monday our main focus i think if you're going to be good at visualization you got to really narrow it down to where you're trying to be successful so we usually visualize the state championship every monday and like that that is the piece that we needed to get better at is getting our kids brains wrapped around the pressure the fear the concepts that we were going to be going into Um, every time you get in a championship race and kind of taking those out of the equation. So for us, uh, you know, when we get together and we take the kids through um, whatever the scenario is, um, we try to make sure that they understand what it is that they're seeing. You know, you look to the right, you see the clock. What time did you get? Um, And then we program in exactly what it is that they need to think. You know, you think, oh, okay, feeling good. That's a good time. I'm right on pace, Right. you know, and then you tie in the emotion. Right. And, you know, deep down, you're feeling really good about where you're at, you know, so you're uh, I think visualizations most of the time need to be programming more than just thinking about what you're going to do as a coach. It's an opportunity to program those kids into, uh, you know, this is what you're going to see. This is how you're going to think about it. And this is how you're going to emotionally react to it so that when they get out there, instead of them just kind of freewheeling it and you get whatever pops in their head. Um, you're going to get exactly what you, you know, expect to get because you've programmed them to think that way. You've programmed them to respond emotionally that way. Um, and so often, we'll, you know, we've done ones where someone falls and breaks their leg. How do they respond to that? We have ones where you get out in the back of the pack. How do you respond to that? So um, each one of the kids has a pretty good idea how to handle every situation that they're going to run into. And I think that's why, if you look, the majority of the great Oak kids were very consistent with what you would expect them to run at state with what they actually did run, because they, they just mentally had run the race so many times, and I think it dialed in exactly what they were going to see, what they were expecting to think, and what they were expecting to feel along the way. Right. So take the fear out. Take you know they're not going to be afraid if you've programmed in what they're going to think. Right. They're going to think what you told them to think. They're they're not going to uh, you know start doing crazy things because they're programmed to react a certain way. And uh, you know when you're when you're programmed like that you just respond out of instinct because you already know what to do mm-hmm. instead of trying to create it on the fly. The worst thing that you could do is have a 14 year old girl start to think in the middle of a race, yeah. right? Don't think, just respond, just do what you're supposed to do. And so it gives the, it gives us a little bit more uh, control as coaches because we can't call a timeout. You know, we, we have to have a race plan already in play by the time that gun goes off and we're, we get taken out of the race. You know, in a lot of sports the coach can, can really dictate pace and tempo and, um, and ours, we have to kind of pre-plan that and then watch yeah. it unfold. It's hard to really make adjustments. We all think we're making adjustments when we yell and scream. You know, I had, I had uh, a race with Destiny Collins at State. She's running, and every time she's coming by, I'm yelling something really loudly at her, and she's doing it. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, she's hearing every word. And then, I, you know, we get done with the race, and they go, hey, Destiny, did you hear me? And she's like, I didn't hear you once. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we really inflate our importance sitting <laughs> yeah. on the sideline. Um, A lot of the time we think that we're making a big impact, uh, but not usually during the race, you know, so we have to do all of our coaching at a time. And I think a lot of coaches fail to program their kids and really think about the mental aspect of it before the the gun even goes off.
1: No, and I can't help but listening to it with my coaches here. It still sounds to me like here's an area that's important, like any other piece of training, and we are going to train it. We're gonna do repetitions and we're gonna make it so that that is second nature to us, yep. right? Not any different than any other, you know, workout or hill repeats or anything like that because you get better by repetition, yep. um, you know? So really thinking outside the box, but like, you know, not that other people haven't done visualizations, but you have prepared them for all of the possibilities of the feelings so that when that happens, they're already re, you know, directing what they're doing. I, I love that, that is huge advice attention, people. Thank you. i also like to go a little deeper with you and ask specifically about things that you do with your varsity
0: level athletes and, and how you develop them. Well, the first thing I do is I try to identify the varsity level talent. Right. And so it's relevant if they're a ninth grade or 10th grade, 11th or 12th grade. If they're a varsity or future varsity kid, they're with me. Right. So we, we kind of suction all of that top talent into the group one. Um, so that we're developing our freshman varsity talent, our sophomore varsity talent, our junior varsity talent, our senior varsity talent altogether, right? So I think one of the mistakes I see a lot of people make is they leave their freshmen down, you know, at lower levels, maybe a little bit too long. Those kids are varsity level, they're just not quite there yet uh, on the aerobic side of things because they're younger and they haven't been running for very long. So if we've got somebody that's tremendously talented, we try to make sure, that they're up there with us so that we can develop this year's varsity, next year's varsity, and our future varsity all at the exact same time, right? And so when people ask me, well, you know, how do you guys get the same results year in and year out? You're always you know, winning CIF t- titles and state titles, and you're always in the mix. It's because those freshmen have been running against some of the best kids in the state in practice since they stepped foot in our, in our program. So I think that's one of the most important things to think about as a coach is when you set up your groups, are you training your varsity freshmen immediately? right? And it also helps because you on a in a constant state of battle with club soccer, right? So one of the best things that you can do is say, hey, you're varsity. So get over here. And and when I do that, kids will say, well, I'm varsity as a freshman um, in cross country and I'm on the freshman team in soccer. Maybe I want to be over here more. And so I've won a lot of soccer kids over that way um, as well because they, they start to realize, okay, I'm already varsity over here. I'm already on that path. I'm going to be important someday. And I, I think that's a uh, an important thing for coaches to learn how to do that's great advice
1: if you would what advice do you have for coaches both new coaches and
0: coaches just
1: trying to take their program to the next level
0: I think you need to think about where you want to be right mm-hmm. if you want to be at the upper echelon then you know kiss your family goodbye and <laughs> let them know that you'll see them when you see them um, I know that sounds funny but really true I yes mean, my my wife was very well aware that I was gonna work until the job was done and so You know, the great thing is you see those results, um, but you also, you know, have to have a family that's strong enough to survive that, um, you know, and so really make sure that uh, you can put the time in, you know, if you can't put in, you know, 12 to 16 hour days, six days a week, and probably a lot of time on Sunday as well, then, you know, don't shoot to be in the upper echelon because that's what it takes to get to that level. I mean, you can get lucky and just talent into a good team, but you can see those teams, because they're good for one two three years and then they kind of fade out Mm -hmm. so if they didn't really do anything they got good for three years and then didn't really do anything that's just a convergence of talent right that's just good kids came in they rode the wave and then you know back to normal um great coaching is where year in and year out you're always getting very similar results because the coaching level brings it to that whether the, the names change you know it's all new kids you're still getting you know much different results so I mean, much the same results. So what you really need to think about is how much time am I willing to put in to get to the next level? Um, and if you're saying, I want to be the best. Okay, great. Then how many books are you willing to read? How much time are you going to spend asking questions? Who, who, who's going to be your mentor? You know, how are you going to get to that next level is really a question that you're asking yourself every single day. Right? When, when, when I wanted to get to that level, I would wake up in the morning thinking, we need to win a state championship. I want to win a state championship. And when I would go to bed, I would ask myself, you know, did you do everything you could today to win a state championship? You know, and sometimes it's as simple as getting the right kids out. You know, I, you know, if you've got to beg a kid sometimes, you've got to find a way. But you know, we've won state championships because I've begged certain kids to be out there. And because they were there, we were able to win the title. So you really got to look at every aspect and you've got to get better because most people don't come in, you know, ready to be a championship level coach. Most people come in with a lot of weaknesses, a lot of flaws, and you've got to, you've got to fix those. You got to go out there, try, and then make a list of everything you screwed up. And then you got to try to knock as many of those off the next year, come back. Okay. The list is smaller, but now there's new problems. You know, we, we would go through and say, we're not, you know, we're not doing this, we're not doing that, and we need to get better. We would do it, and then all of a sudden, now everybody's got a right knee problem. Okay, well, now we've got to come up with a solution or a change so that, you know, we stop having knee problems, you know, so um, sometimes the solutions can lead to more problems, and so it's an always evolving process to try to figure out how are we going to get to the next level without breaking the kids, how are we going to get to the next level, you know, without burning out the kids, and, uh, you know, how are we going to build a culture that keeps the kids coming back every year. So I think the most important thing, hands down, is how much time are you willing to put in? Because if you're not gonna put the time in, you're not gonna get there.
1: That's great advice. Uh, I think for you know, coaches like myself in a you know, smaller school environment, you know whether they're surprised or not i think it's comforting to hear that you really face so many of the same issues we do you can't be above like you said going and really trying to get a kid that you know has the ability or even a kid that's in your program that's maybe in the wrong space Mm -hmm. you know and trying to encourage them you know to be somewhere where they could be more successful because it's going to help the whole program and the individual have a better experience You know, and uh work (laughs) right yep you can't be afraid of that um same question really, but for athletes, what advice do you have for athletes, both new athletes and those wishing to take it to the next level?
0: The biggest mistake that I see most parents and athletes making together is thinking that they can cheat the process, right? Yeah. I'm gonna get a special coach for this. I'm gonna get something for that. I'm gonna go out there and buy certain things to give my kids an advantage. When the truth is what you need to do is just shut up and listen to your coach. Most of the time. If, if you would stop interfering with what the coach is trying to do, You'll have a much better chance of being successful. Do everything you're asked to do. Do it with a smile on your face, and show up every day, and and you know have a have a good attitude about what you're trying to accomplish. Um, eat right, get enough sleep. You know, take iron if that's what you're supposed to be taking, and and do everything you can to be as prepared, healthy, and focused so that your coach can actually get you to the next level. What I find all the time is, you know, parents come in and they say, "Well, you know, we were talking to the special strength training guy, or we were talking." You know, this isn't football. Cross country and track are very different, uh, very aerobic and very, there's a lot of rhythm to what you're doing as a coach. And so if I'm trying to do this with your kid to get them to be able to perform at state and we're trying to go like this and all of a sudden you're taking them this way and this way, well, guess what? They're not going to get where you want them to go because you've screwed it up. So, you know, learn to listen, learn to trust, build a relationship. If you have to ask questions, have legitimate questions. Why are we doing this? You know, If your coach can't answer why you're doing that, then, you know, then the coach has to improve. But at the end of the day, I think it's, uh, I think it's critical for um, kids to learn to listen to their coaches. Because most of the time, if they would just not interfere with the coaching and instead take the coaching and apply what's being taught to them, most, most kids would improve a lot, a lot more than they, they currently are. That's fantastic
1: advice. You know, I believe <laughs> We've all seen that. it. We've yeah, all seen that's it. right. It's, it's, it's such, it's just true.
0: And, and to add to that, I've got uh, an eighth grade son mm-hmm. and I've got a seventh grade daughter and they're good athletes. Um, I've had to live that myself as a parent. And it's hard. I've been on both sides of that. Um, it's hard not to say something when you see it clear as day in your head as a parent. And mm-hmm. I understand that. And sometimes even as an athlete, you know where you want to be and what you want to do. And it's so clear to you, but sometimes making those changes Throws off what you're trying to get, you know, coaching wise. So, the best thing you can do is honestly just shut the trap and, and listen. Which leads me
1: right into the next question: uh, Do you have any advice for parents?
0: Yes. Um, let the coach be the coach. Let the parent, as a parent, you your number one job is to be their biggest fan, to be their support system, to be their nutritionist to make sure that uh, they have everything they need. You know, if you, if you wanna not screw up as a parent, every couple months, buy them a couple pairs of shoes. Make sure that you're doing prehab instead of rehab. So get them to the chiropractor, get them to the sports physiologist, make sure that they're learning how to do all the things they can to take care of their body. Make sure they're not staying up till two o'clock because they're in AP classes. They gotta go to bed. They gotta get the sleep that they need. Make sure that they're eating. Make sure that their iron is at the level, the ferritin's at the level it's supposed to be. Um, you know, if you, can, if you can be on top of that, and then send them to practice and let the coach actually coach them. Um, You know, so many of the biggest issues that I run into um, is I'm undoing what's happening when I send them home. So I get them going the right track. I send them home. Parents screw them up. They send them back to me the next day and I've got to undo the craziness. And, you know, when kids ask you questions that they can't formulate, that it's coming from mom and dad and not from the from the kid. right? Right. And so that's that's the hardest problem. Um, I think most of the time with parents is they see clearly what they want their kid to be able to do and what their kid's capable of. Um, but instead of helping often, they'll get in the way. So understand your role, you know, yell, scream at the races, get video footage, be a big, big time fan. Um, but don't try to be coach 2.0 because kids won't know who to listen to. I feel that.
1: And then, uh, if you're willing, I'm in, uh, you talked about this a little bit earlier, making some mistakes you know, uh, when you first you know, started coaching. So if you could reveal maybe some of those early mistakes and what you learned from them and how that helped you in your career.
0: Well, as far as cross country goes, the, the early easy mistake for us is, you know, we would destroy everybody at Woodbridge. And then by the time we got to state, we were out of, out of gas. Yeah. And so I think one of the biggest things, um, like I said before, is thinking about the rhythm of your season. Where is it that you wanna be? on and where is it that you're not that worried about it so you know when to push um so that your kids are ready to to run well when it matters and so you know early on i think uh it was really hard for us we we hadn't mastered mount Sac, which in the southern section if you can't run well at mount Sac, doesn't matter what you did the rest of the season yeah. somebody that does know how to run mount Sac will come in and beat you so we had to learn how to run mount Sac, which i think you know based on all the records we have i'd say we mastered mount Sac pretty well so. um when you look at uh Overall performances when it matters—that was the the other thing we were trying to do. How how do we get to CIF final? See, people see the success from Great Open. They don't see Dan Noble and Doug Soul standing outside the tent in two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, going. We need to get in there. How do we get on the podium? How do we get to that level? And really spending all the time and effort that we that we could outside of you know direct coaching, figuring out how to get better so that our kids could could get in there and compete. So. You know i think it's it's critical as a coach to be able to to really identify you know what mistakes you are making um and it's really hard for a lot of people because ego wise you want to be able to say my stuff works right and i have coaches all the time to me say i know what i'm doing my stuff works it worked for billy it worked for tommy well if it only works for one kid and it doesn't work for the other kids then is it working right if you're not winning championships across the board. Cause you can get a kid that is off the charts. I mean, Destiny Collins could have been coached by anyone and she still would have been really, really good because she was super talented. So you, you have to ask yourself, okay, do I have a talented kid and they're running well because they're talented? Or have I done the right things as a coach to make sure they're ready to perform? Um, and I, to me, when I'm looking and assessing myself, I'm looking at kids 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. You know, can those guys win the CIF title? If the answer is yes, then okay, I've done a pretty good job as a coach. And so that we, a couple of years ago, we put in our B team at CIF finals and won, you know, and that to me was a, a, a validation that, you know, it's not just, we got a bunch of talented kids, you know, you get, you take out one through seven and we're still winning, you know, at the very high level. So that, that I think is something that you've got to be able to take the ego out and say to yourself, um, am I, am I developing kids or am I getting talented kids and I'm just riding that wave? You know what I mean? So, biggest mistake I see coaches make, they don't run enough mileage. And then they, they justify it with some sort of mileage shaming rhetoric that they get. But it's okay to allow your kids to be great in high school. Yeah. It just flat out is. And that's, that's one of the mistakes that I think um, distance running in and of itself has adopted. Is where, if, you know, anytime a girl runs fast in eighth grade, if she can't replicate it as a senior, then everybody involved with that child is now a failure. And that's, that's not the truth. Bodies change, you know, kids grow, kids change, kids' passions change. They all of a sudden yeah. decide, you know, they want to get married and have kids or do something else. And so at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to make mistakes, make big mistakes, but learn from them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's uh, you bring up the mileage thing and, and, uh, you know, no matter what your beliefs are, um, one of the things, you know, I always talk to my kids about is it's in the title. It's still distance running. Right. At some point, you're going to have to run some miles.
0: Right. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, we've, we've gotten to a point where everybody's afraid. Yeah. If I run so much, I'm going to get hurt. And my experience has been I'm not getting kids coming back from a long run going, ow. I have kids that get hurt if we're doing seriously intense stuff, mm-hmm. right? So if you're cranking, you know, 24, 400s, that's a much better chance for a kid to get an injury than if they're going out on an eight-mile easy run. Right. So, you know, I think one of the important things is to really, as a coach, teach the kids uh, about their body, teach them to be able to recognize what's going on. But, you know, shaming people because they, they want to go out there and be the best at their sport just doesn't make sense to me.
1: No, I, I agree. A hundred percent. I think about it this way, too. Um, even though a lot of kids are going to go to college. Not everyone's gonna run in college. I and mean, right. we know what the data is. I mean, that's a small percentage of the entire high school field. Right. It is more likely that this will be the greatest athletic experience of their lives. Right. You know, so it's okay. It's, it's okay, okay to uh, have fun. Have fun, Go man. For it. Yeah, yeah, work hard. Go do some things. All right, next I have my uh, 10 questions that I like to ask everybody.
0: Uh, number one, what motivates you as a coach? Uh, to be completely honest with you, I don't like to lose. So I think I've always been motivated by the the competition of it. You know, at mm-hmm. some point you run out of the athletic gift. Um, you get into your older age and it's like, okay, I still want to compete. How do I do that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, as I finished up running in track in college, uh, the opportunity to coach was something that was exciting. You know, I think guys like to continue to play. Mm-hmm. And so I got that opportunity to continue to play. And, um, you know, I think once you get into it, Um, I think spending time with kids and, and there's there's something about you spending time with a 14 year old and then, you know, 15 years later, you're hanging out with them and they're 29 years old and you just watching them grow, you know, watching kids, um, you know, grow up into adults, get married, have kids, just being a part of that journey of so many different kids. Truly an amazing experience. Truly amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What concerns you as a coach? Usually kids not listening you know, because I feel like that's when, you know, you, those relationships can break down or they're going to do something stupid and get hurt or, you know, put themselves in danger. Um, I think that's my my biggest concern is just the kids not, everything that we've built is built on a structure of keeping kids safe, right? So whenever kids deviate from, um, you know, making sure they're doing what they're supposed to do, that's, that's when I get concerned. Um, you know, we had two kids that got hit by a truck. Uh, in the in the september in october and you know talk about scariest thing that can possibly happen fortunately both are you know doing well and are and are okay and um that's the great thing a lot of prayers on that a lot of support from the running community but that to me is my greatest fear is that i'm going to send kids out you know to do what they're supposed to do as a distance runner but have something terrible happen to them yeah
1: I think you just put your finger on a fear of a lot of coaches yeah. and I personally, same thing. That is. I hope, always... I hope
0: nobody else ever has to go through that. Yeah. Not fun. Uh, third
1: question is what is your favorite drill practice rep or workout?
0: We've had so many different uh, things that we do. I, Early on, I, I love to do kind of our version of the dream mile where we would run, you know, we get, Four four hundreds, they would get one minute in between, and then we would combine the times, and that's what they were capable of running in a perfect race. Yeah, I um, and that. I think you know a lot of it was just tricking the kids into believing, okay, you know, you just ran four eighteen, you're capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, they've never broken four forty, but in their mind, like that's more realistic than it was before they did it. So yeah. um, that was always one I like to do in the early days. Um, I think nowadays the one that I really enjoy doing the most is we'll do a hard eight hundred um and really just crank it and then they get a minute and then they do a two mile tempo Um, Mm -hmm. then they come back they get about five minutes and then we'll do a hard 800 and then a two mile tempo again Um, and just seeing which kids can handle that second tempo um, which kids go a little bit lighter in that 800 to try to survive you know who's ready and who's not but more than anything when you you know you start racing at places like woodbridge you better be ready for an 800 level start and then settle into race pace you know so just kind of getting them dialed in to to being able to handle that and so that's something we came up with to have them ready for race day when when they got into those you know really crazy fast early season stuff like that and dana hills and whatnot that's a great answer uh what is your least favorite drill practice rep or workout warm-up you know what I mean? Like, yes. I I understand the importance of warm up. We have a long warm up. You know, we mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time doing it. Um, but as an athlete and as a coach, you know, sometimes you just want to get to the meat instead of uh, spending all this time on the ancillary stuff. And um, but yeah, just just the monotony of you know high knees and a skips and all that stuff. But I understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's probably my least favorite part of coaching is waiting for them to be warmed up and ready for me to be on, you know, and I'll come in and, you know, a lot of times other people will warm the kids up and then I'll come in and say, okay, now this is what we're going to do. So, you know, I, I think that's probably the part that I don't like the most, you know, it's, it gets a little boring saying go run six miles too, but um, at the end of the day, you got to have a lot of uh, components to it. And I, I think that's one of the areas that I've spent the most time is really trying to master how many different components that you need to have to cover all the different areas. You know, if you skip these three components, that's great. You're going to suck at Mount Sac, right? And so we are really trying to identify, you know, what we need to do. We, we put in a bunch of sand running to try to be able to run better at the national meet, you know, so it trying to find all those different pieces and what's important. And sometimes you got to do stuff that you don't you don't really enjoy. No one enjoys running in the sand in 97 degree weather. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you got to do it if you want to compete in the mud. So. You know, when I hear that hundred percent
1: number five, what is your favorite thing to see at a competition?
0: Kids smiling. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the best thing, the thing that coaches probably get addicted to the most is kids go out and it doesn't matter if it's the fastest kid, the slowest kid, whatever, when they come back and they've got a medal and they've got a big smile on their face and their parents are happy. Um, I think that's the thing that, that keeps me coming back as a coach is just seeing kids go from, I don't really know that I want to do this to, okay, I'm having fun now to I'm competing and, and it's going okay to coach. Look, I got my first medal with a big smile on their face. Um, that to me is, is easy to get addicted to because, you know, for some of those kids, they may have not ever had any success as an athlete ever in their life. And now all of a sudden they're in a sport that validates that you just accomplished something pretty impressive, you know, and you don't have to be first, second, third to be successful. If there's 250 kids in a race and you got 18th, that's a pretty good run, you know? And so I think it's, it's important to understand that, uh, you know, there's so many kids out there that need that, that positivity, that, that feel good about themselves, you know, and, and running really brings that on a day-to-day basis. But then I think a lot of the times our competitions, uh, really bring the joy out in the kids you know where they they get to compete and obviously through the pandemic here getting a chance to compete again um, a lot of kids have you know we did some some races in october and november and the kids are so excited to just be out there and and just uh just to see them smile again was was the, the fun, fun part for me
1: yeah i love that answer what is your least favorite thing to see at a competition
0: hmm I don't want to harp on parents. Um, for me, what I hate to see is when parents are telling their kids to do something that is non-productive towards what I've told the kid to do. You know, all of a sudden, they're introducing their own components to the warm-up instead of doing what we've asked them to do. Um, you know, they're 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 focused in one way instead of another. we We had a race where we had four girls run really well in the sixteen hundred. The first three finished hugged each other the other one finished turned and waved to mom and dad so i, I think it's the you get kids that are dialed into the team sometimes and kids that aren't um, for me the ones that aren't bought into the team that aren't bought into the the we first they're more into the me first that's the stuff that is kind of unenjoyable for me now that makes me want to ask almost a follow-up question
1: um you know would you agree that you're really missing out on an extra layer of special by not getting that community being a part of a team where you have that connection that, you know, in your, with your teammates.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think what happens is people get so dialed into success that they don't stop to realize that these other people can actually help you get there. They start competing at such a level that they're competing against their own team instead of saying, hey, we're all in this together. You know, it's, you're a shark, I'm a shark, but hey, we're, we're all Coach souls of sharks. You know, sometimes you get, you know, three or four and they're all individual sharks and it's hard to get them to work together. And that's why I love relays. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time in our program. We we go to uh, Redondo, we go to Mount Sac, we go to Arcadia, and we go to, um, you know, usually some sort of special meet uh, like Azusa to try to focus on, you know, getting those kids an opportunity to get that that uh, high level racing, but usually working together to make that happen. You know, we have, we've had some Azuzu races where there's been 10 kids from great Oak in the heat, you know, so you're, you're still kind of working together using those team tactics to, Mm -hmm. to okay, You're going to lead this lap type stuff. Um, But I love relays because it gives the kids a chance to to really show what we can do together. Uh, And you know, we are huge fans of, of relays it
1: makes yep. me think of you know one thing i've always appreciated about the mount sac relays i mean it's in the title <laughs> as you probably know there's actually a little side competition going on at that meet for scoring the most relay points yeah. you know which i think is fantastic yeah. uh, just it's for that reason
0: always been a, a driving force for me you know we've had a lot of success there i think the the main reason for that in my mind is is we're gonna take our kids and go out and, and try to compete against everybody in the relays. You know, and so you notice Great Oaks in the four by eight with their best team. They're in the four by 16 with their best team. They come back with the DMR with their best team and usually multiple teams. And I think that's huge for, for other teams because they're always gonna get a race.
1: And next, uh, what would people say your catchphrase is as a coach? Like, what do you say a lot if you're being real honest? you know what would people say it is about
0: you not what you think it is i'm just curious i've got a lot of different phrases i think the team phrase has always been world domination you know that that's one that came out of a joke and, yeah. and you know we kind of used it as a catch-all for you know let's be good at every level you know mm-hmm. our freshmen are just as important as our as our seniors or our varsity and and so world domination is something that you can you know kids coming up complaining and you don't have an answer you just put your hand on their shoulder and say world domination and walk away <laughs> I um, you love know that. so there, there's that um you know coach noble and i used to yell shut up and run a lot you know just just do what you're supposed to do and you won't have those issues um, you know, the reality is, I used to say all the time, you know, the reality is guys, we can win this, you know. Um, so there's a lot of different things that uh that I've said along the ways, but uh those are probably the ones that that I've said the most. Yeah, that's fun. Uh what is your best memory as a coach? Probably there's there's a couple of them. Obviously winning in twenty fifteen, winning the the national championship. Yeah. That was that was a big goal and into To sit with those guys in 2014. We were were literally the best team in California in 2014. Um, And because we ran at a different time than Division 2, we didn't get selected to go to NXN. That was a very frustrating time for me because I saw how devastating that was to my kids. Um, And so that was kind of the low point. And then to watch the way those guys responded, came back and to come back and not only win, but to win at a very high level in 2015, we won by like almost 50 points. Um, in 2015 at NXN, that was definitely a high point. Winning the our first state title in 2010 on the girls' side was extremely special. They they missed in 2009; they lost by three points. And that same thing, six of those girls came back, and I like to say they fixed the problem. You know, right. you're you're always the problem. So you know, at the end of the day, you've got to fix whatever your weaknesses are so that you can win the next year. And then we came back and we beat. Actually, if you look at the the teams that we were racing in 2010, I think that was the most competitive Division One race that we won. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've we won a lot of Division One races, but but 2010 was super, super competitive. I mean, we had everybody in there but Saugus. And it was like all in one division all at the same time. So to come out with a victory on that one was was tremendous. And it's kind of like you you don't even realize you can do it until you do. Right. You know, and then once you do it, it gets a lot easier. So for the coaches out there that are trying to win state championships, keep keep plugging away, because once you win it, it makes more sense from that point on
1: yeah that's great advice what is the thing you would most like to learn more about next
0: well i'm in a unique situation because we just moved to uh utah yeah um and so it's a transition for me you know i could i could see myself staying at great oak for life um but you know things happen in life and, and things change and you know my my wife and i and our kids have been pulled towards utah since about 2016 and so you know the only thing that's been stopping it has been the coaching and so mm-hmm. i think uh you know this was kind of a, a time that you know with the pandemic and all the things that are going on it's an easy time for us to sell move and start over um, and so i think for me just just looking at an opportunity to say okay you think you know all these things let's apply it to a new program and see if you can get the same results so at some point I'll try to build another program and, you know, we'll see if we can get back to the level that we were at at great Oak or maybe even higher and, you know, try to try to win a national championship from another state. I think that would be fun. Um, but I think, uh, just learning how to, um, learning how to be humble enough to start over and, uh, and and listen to a new group of kids because you know every group is different, every school is different, every culture is different. So you know, can I take a different culture, adapt to it, have it adapt to me, and then you know take it to a high level again? That's that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, I for one uh, believe 100 percent
1: that wherever you go, the next world domination will begin. <laughs> yeah,
0: gonna have to have a new catchphrase. I
1: think that's right. That's right. Yeah.
0: Uh, all right. How would you
1: like to be remembered?
0: You know, I think the people that have competed against Great Oak, you know, the last 17 years, I think most people will remember the fact that we did win virtually at every level. We would go to a meet and we would load the Frosch soft relay. We would load the Varsity relay. We, we would make sure that every single relay was in competition level to win. Um, and so I think, you know, if, if I'm remembered anyway, it's just that man, that guy always put out amazing teams. He yeah, always put out a group that could compete for the win. Um, you know, we didn't win every race we were in, but we were in every race that we were in. And I think that that's one of the biggest things. You don't always see that. You see programs, you know, they had a good four by eight and that was about it. Or, you know, they were, they were decent in cross country for a year or two. You know, we've been good every single year, every single year, we pretty much got better. And every single year um, we got to a point where we could just, we could just go to a meet and and know that it's going to be us versus everybody else. So, I think it would be nice if people remembered uh, the level of competition that our kids work to every single, every single time. Well, Doug,
1: it's been a pleasure. So much respect, you know, I have for you. Uh, I'm grateful that we're friends and have been so since 2009. And uh, thank you for being on this
0: show. Absolutely, had a blast. Appreciate you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for joining us for Sharp's Corner. Please come again.